so excited you're here. Um, welcome. We uh, uh, couldn't be more excited for what God's doing in and through our church and, and for the countless people that we have sacrificed so much to help make this church happen. <clears throat> but uh, no one has really sacrificed more or given more uh, for the benefit and blessing of this church than my wife, Sarah. And uh, she's over there, but she's super embarrassed. She's not going to get on stage at all. But uh, can we just clap for her? Just trust me, she's awesome. Just trust me, she's awesome. And uh, I remember sitting in a living room with nine other people dreaming of uh, what this church was going to look like and what, what, God, what did God want this to take shape. And uh, we were wrestling through a name. I remember figuring out, what are we going to call this thing? What are we going to call this church? And uh, pro- we got the name Prodigal Church from Luke chapter 15 in the story of the prodigal son. And... Uh, I'm going to attempt to do the story justice this morning, but I'm going to need some help in telling this story. And so I've asked my four-year-old son, Dex, to come up and help me tell this story. Come here, son. Very good, son. Right here, bud. Here's your microphone. Can you tell the story one more time? Yeah, you're going to tell the story one more time. All right. So, so first, once upon one a time. Yeah, and one of the sons was o- older, and then the other one was younger. Yeah, dad. And then the dad, and then the younger son said, "Yes, he said, give me all your money." Yeah, he said, "Give me all your money," and so then the dad did what? Give him all the money, and he spent it by his. He spent it on himself. And then... And then, the, the, the money lost. And then he got to feed pigs. He had to feed pigs? Ew. Oh, gross. Gross. And then... And then he said to himself, I want to go back to my dad. Yeah. And then he still was a long way off. And then his dad. And his dad ran up to him and gave him a big old hug. Yeah, gave him a big old hug. And then he said. And then he said, let's have a party. Let's have a party. And the older brother. He said, well, he's been playing for him. Yeah. And then dad said. He says, son, he always with me. We had to celebrate, but... He's my, my son was lost, but now he's found. Yeah. But the older brother went away. Yeah, he went so away. So angry. Yeah. <laughs> and then the younger brother. He stayed with all his family at a party. Yeah, at the party. And then. And then. And then. And then that's the story of the prodigal son. Okay, buddy. Okay. okay, son, go by mom. Go by mom. Let's go right by mommy. Oh, yeah. Throw, throw that battery. No one's going to notice. Oh, no, no. I was kidding. I was being sarcastic, son. 
<laughs> Very, yeah, you got those batteries, son. Show those batteries who's boss. Charles Dickens said this about this parable. The prodigal son is the finest short story ever written. It's the longest of Jesus' parables. Shakespeare wrote plays based upon it. Rembrandt painted it. We've heard it in Sunday school. But it's more than just a splendid story. Uh, it's a story that touches us all at different points. And the parables of Jesus do this. Parables are designed to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. We do well to think of parables as uh, doing the afflicting. Therefore, if we, if we hear a parable and we say, man, I really like that story, or worse, if we fail to take any challenge from it, we're not listening well enough. We might be better off thinking less about what these parables mean and more about what they can do. The parables of Jesus remind, provoke, refine, confront, disturb. Parables are not meant for transformation of information. Parables are meant for transformation of life. So let's dive into this astounding parable that Dex helped us understand in Luke 15. It'll be on the screens. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. There was a man who had two sons, one religious and one rebellious. And as we travel through this story, my question for you is, which are you? Are you rebellious or are you religious? First, the rebellious son. He asked his dad for money. When Dex was two, uh, whenever I would leave the house to go to work, he would say, Dad, are you, you going to make money? Are you going to, to make money for, for, De for Dexy's toys? And I'm like, yeah, son, I'm going to going to make money for you. And whenever we're at a gumball machine or we see a gumball machine or those little sticker machines, he always says, Dad, can you give me money or give me quarters? And I always do. He's my little ATM machine. Uh, but he's withdrawals only, okay? He doesn't make me any money. He just takes it. Um, he's like the young girl who went off to college and she emailed her dad first semester. She said, Dad, I'm having a blast at the university this semester. Things are coming along very easy. I have no serious needs. And I can't think of anything that might help make this semester the best ever. Just wanted to share with you my success and see if there's anything that you can think of that I might need. Love you, Stacy. Even better was the dad's response. Stacy, thank you for your letter. I know college can be stressful and monotonous at times, but it's good to know you're handling things well. Things are pretty normal here. Nothing new. Sorry you haven't heard from your mom and I in a while, but you know what they say. No news is good news. Have fun, love, dad. <laughs> Asking your dad for money is one thing. Uh, but this, this is not what the rebellious son does, okay? He completely dishonors his father. Uh, he basically says, dad, I wish you were dead. Best, best case scenario in my life is you're dead. Uh, when you die, I get a third of the estate, but you're still alive. And so second base case scenario, sell everything and give me half, my, half your estate now. I wish you were dead. The Greek is even starker. It says that he divided between them the life. Not the inheritance, but the life, the bios. Uh, 
And the father gives this young man what he wants. And in so doing, the father takes a massive financial loss. There's no way that you could liquidate things in a short period of time and reap a good profit. Verse 13 says this, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The younger son is rebellious. Rebellious. He spends and he spends, and he is living the life. He got a new condo in the hipster district of Rome. He got the finest horses that his dad's money could buy. His tunic was baller and his swag was on point. Am I too old to say those phrases? 36, that's too old? Okay. He was on top of the world. Gone were the days where he was held back by his father's farm and his father's chores and his father's love. He was on top of the world. Life was awesome until it wasn't. Right? There's an economic downturn. Now he's walking into the pawn shop with his Xbox one week, with his flat screen TV the next week. Pretty soon he's kicked out of his condo. He's living on the streets. No one's going to hire him. He's lost weight. He's probably strung out. Then he finds himself working on a pig farm because that's the only place he could find work. And for a young Jewish boy to work on a pig farm among swine is the most insulting and disgraceful thing you can do. So he's hungry. No one's giving him anything. People pass him on the street. They see his sign, will work for food. But nobody gives him anything. Nobody gives him a dime. The last time he received a gift was when he left his father's house and said, I wish you were dead. Now he longs for the food of pigs. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. The Bible says that he came to his senses. And he began this long, difficult walk back to his dad's house. And you can see he's researching his speech, right? He's rehearsing it. He's going, this is what I'm going to say to my dad when I get there. I've been there when I was a teenager and I had to go and confess something to my dad because I knew I was caught. I was rehearsing exactly what I was going to say to him. Got to make it perfect. What's going to happen? What's his dad going to do? Because the law says three things. The law tells the father three things you're to do in this scenario. Number one, the father can disown him. You can't treat your dad that way. Disowned. Number two, the father can beat him. There's a provision in the law that said you can actually beat your kid if they're rebellious. And finally, the father could kill him. It's right there in the law. It's what you're supposed to do when you have a rebellious son. So in order for the son to come back, he himself has to take a massive risk. So the son is looking to the ground, thinking about what's his dad going to do. Is he going to disown me? Is he going to beat me? Is he going to kill me? And then the verse that Dex quoted almost verbatim. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
as he's approaching, he sees his dad start to run, and he begins to fear, but then there's a smile on his face, and his dad's words, my boy, my son, my son, and he runs after him, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. The Greek word is actually not just kissed one time, it's kissed over and over again. Kept kissing him. Let me just say this, dads, it's okay to hug and kiss your kids. I know you want to be tough. It's okay, especially your sons. It doesn't matter how old they are. I mean, don't embarrass them, right? Your son catches a first down in a football game. You run out of the grandstands down to the field, take his helmet off. No, don't do that. But it's okay to bear hug your kid, kiss him on his head, and say, Daddy loves you. And he might squirm. He might say, don't, Dad. But what he really means is, do it again. It's okay to show affection. In first century Jewish culture, the father would wait for some sign of respect from the son before he would approach and discuss and talk with him. And for the patriarch of the family to run was to lose all caution to the wind, to lose all sense of dignity. If you are a man in that time period, you do not run. If you are the patriarch of the family, you absolutely don't run. There's only two scenarios where you would run and find an older man running. Number one, if he committed a crime. Number two, if a crime was going to be committed on him. Those are the only two scenarios. And yet this father throws all caution to the wind. Some of the ramifications of this story, just, you might be thinking, man, it's just too much. It's unfair. You can't treat people like this. They'll never respect you. You do something like this and people are just going to sin all the time, God. That's not what you're supposed to do. We need to have clear lines and clear punishments when lines are crossed. And God's like, nope. I'm the dad in the bathrobe wearing underwear and sandals running to chase after my kid. And the paparazzi can take pictures all they want. I don't care. My son's home. It's a scandalous amount of love. And the super religious are like, no, you can't do that. That's, that's too much. There's a law. You've got to follow the law. You don't break the rules. There's consequences. There's punishments. And God's like, they're not going to understand the whole underwear thing, but I don't care. I love my son. This is how God feels about you. Every single one of you. God throws away all social conventions and chases after his lost kids, saying it's time for you to come home. This kind of love doesn't make sense. But love is not according to logic. Love is according to love. It's its own thing. Love is not according to logic. Love is according to love. God's love is the cure for our rebelliousness. Romans says that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, not our repentance that leads to God's kindness. It's not you've got to get your stuff together and repent before God is going to show kindness to you. No, it's his kindness that brings us to that point, not the other way around. Are you rebellious? Does that foreign country look so glamorous? The answer is found in our father's embrace. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. See, he goes public. He goes public. See, the father set the tone. If he was going to punish the kids, 
the community would have done the same and they would have thrown stones as well. But because the father embraced his son, everyone should embrace his son. Because he was welcomed back with arms of love, everyone should welcome him back with open arms of love. And that should be true for us as a church too, right? Whom God embraces, we should embrace. We should be a place where younger sons feel comfortable coming home. Then the father goes over the top. He goes, somebody get me a band. We need an event coordinator. We're going to throw a party. Seriously, get the best steaks we can find. Light up the grill. Let's have a party. Invite everyone you know. I found my kid. One writer said this, that God has an ongoing love affair with sinners. He throws a party of rich food and drink to get their attention. He invites the undeserving, dances with the never-do-wells, and slips a ring on their finger. It's beautiful. It's scandalous. So there's this massive party, and everyone's having a good time. Well, not everyone. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could party with my friends. And when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Now, the religious son. Religious the older brother hears the ruckus. He sees the crowd. What's, what, what's happening? Someone says, you haven't heard? Your brother's back. And the twist is what makes this parable so powerful. The problem for this religious son is that he's not connected to his father. He's home. He's next to his dad. He makes that abundantly clear. He says, all these years I've been with you. I've never left. But did you notice that he's surprised that his dad still loves the younger son? How could he be so close? How could he live in the same house under the same roof and yet still not see his dad go out on the porch every morning looking into the horizon, waiting for his lost son to come back, praying, interceding, crying at night? Where has he been? Where has the attention been directed that he didn't see the sadness in his father's eyes? There's nothing wrong with being angry at sin, but when we let that anger consume us to the point where we turn our anger to the sinner, now we become in sin. You see, I think that if I give others what they deserve, that I'm on the side of God. I am not. Henry Now, the great Catholic theologian, said this on commenting on the prodigal son, returning home from a lustful escapade seems so much easier than returning home from a cold anger that has rooted itself in the deepest corners of my being. My resentment is not something that can easily be distinguished and dealt with rationally. Christians, listen, this is the deception of the religious spirit. You can be head over heels, neck deep in ministry and still be disconnected from God. Reluctant and loathsome obedience is not love. 
Reluctant and loathsome obedience is not love. Notice the father goes out to both sons. He leaves his house for the younger son on the road, and he leaves his house and the party for his older son in the field. He goes out to both. See, we love to categorize people. We love to blame the world's problems on those people. That's much easier than looking inward and actually doing something about it ourselves. As long as we blame them, we don't have to change us. So this religious son says, Dad, what are you doing? And Dad's like, your your brother's back. Come inside and be reconciled. I'm not going to be reconciled to him. When he left you, he's dead to me. I haven't spent any of your money. He spent a third of the estate. I was doing all my chores all these years, and now I've been doing his chores since he's been off wild living. Dad, I'm still a virgin. And this son of yours, he doesn't even call him brother. He says, this son of yours is sleeping with all kinds of women. He's an embarrassment. I'm ashamed we have the same last name. I'm not going to be reconciled to him. And the father says, son, you're always with me. But your brother's back. Yeah, he's lost weight. Yeah, we got to put him in rehab. But he's home. You see, we can be moral, but not alive. We can be moral, but not alive. Lost in religion. We see this a lot in churches. If our churches aren't appealing to the younger brothers, it's probably because they're more filled with the older brothers than we like to admit. Caught in the religious spirit. Caught in religious living. Two sons, one separated from his father because of his bad deeds, and the other son separated from his father because of his good deeds. Two sons, the rebellious and the religious, which are you? Which are you? And these two, they're not mutually exclusive, right? They're both inside of us. I've seen the rebellious become the religious, right? They look at people like, I can't believe you talk like that. I can't believe you dress like that. I can't believe you act like that. I used to do that yesterday, but now I'm disgusted by your sinful behavior. I've seen the opposite. Born in a conservative home, Christian school, Christian music, Christian camp, goes off to college, becomes Van Wilder, right? They go fast, far, making up for lost time. Rebellious, religious, which are you? In rebellion, it's about breaking the rules. Religion, it's about keeping the rules. Dad, I've never broken any of the rules. I've kept them this whole time. I'm the good kid, he's the bad kid. I obey the rules, he breaks the rules. Rebellion is liberal. For some of you, that's a good word. For some of you, the L word is a very bad word. That's because you're a conservative. Okay? Religion is about conservative. For some of you, that's a bad word. That's because you're a liberal. Rebellion, it's immoral. Sin is visible. It's obvious. You go to this guy's Facebook page, he's not hiding anything, okay? He sh- you know what he's doing on Saturday nights. Religion is moral. Sin is visible, invisible. It's, the sin is not out there, it's in here. Re- rebellion, it's about disobedience. Religion, it's about obedience. Rebellion is lazy. Some of you just call it being an artist, okay? 
It's just lazy, right? Because an artist says, I work when I'm inspired. You're lazy. He takes his dad's money because he doesn't earn his own. Religion is about working hard. Dad, I've worked very, very, very hard. I've been a slave for you all these years. Rebellion is about unrighteous. Religion, self-righteous. The only thing in common between the older son and the younger son in the story is that they're both using the father and neither are loving the father. Which are you? Which are you? Rebellious, religious. The word sin means missing the mark. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You can see that miss, you can miss the mark to the left and you can miss the mark to the right. They're both sin. Which are you? Well, who should we be? There's a third son in the story. He's actually the one who told the story. And he's not the rebellious son, yet he hung out with sinners, yet he never sinned. And he's not the religious son. Rather, he destroyed the religious status quo and systems that were keeping people in bondage. He's the son of God. The third son has changed my life, has changed the trajectory of my life. The third son makes me a better husband. The third son makes me a better father. The third son makes me a better neighbor. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is friends with those who are rebellious. And Jesus is friends with those who are religious. And he invites us both into the party to experience the love of the father. Which son should we be like? The third, Jesus. That's who we should be like. I want to invite Steve and the worship band to come up. And I want to read the the ending of this parable one more time. Verse 31 says this. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Did you notice that this parable leaves us with a bunch of questions? There's no resolution. There's no, we're we're kind of left hanging here. Did the elder brother eventually join in the celebration or did he have a pity party of one outside? The parable ends because that's where we're left to make our decision towards the father. The father who comes out to meet us and to plead with us, come in and celebrate with him. Will you accept the invitation from the father this morning? There are two ways to miss God. Rebellion, religion. The Father invites us all to the party. Let's pray. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would break in us and help us come to our senses and make the long journey back to our Father, that it's a journey. And we know that our Father hasn't taken his belt off to whip us. He's not going to backhand us. He's not going to yell at us and point his finger. He's going to open his arms and love us. My son and my daughter, they're back. Let us know the love of God. It's the cure for rebelliousness, the embrace of God. And God, for those of us in this place that are caught up in religious living, self-righteous, moral, obedient, on paper, it looks like we got it all together. But God, we're missing too. 
I pray, God, that we would leave lifeless religion behind and we would throw parties for sinners and we would celebrate the love of God, that we would get out into the real world, get out of our, our churches and go and make a difference in our world. God, I thank you that you call us out of both rebellious living and religious living. And I thank you, God, that you go out to us. So God, I pray for those, everyone in this room, God, those who have never came home and began a relationship with you, a life-changing, a life trajectory-changing meeting with you. I pray, God, that you give them the boldness to be able to ask someone, hey, what's it mean to follow this Jesus? And help us to live in a greater way towards you with your love in our relationships at home with our spouse, in our relationships with our children, in our relationships with our coworkers, in our relationships with our enemies. We pray more of your love, God. Let us be the Father who goes out. Thank you for your scandalous love, God, that you throw all social conventions aside to pursue us, every one of us you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing this last song together? Oh, come to the altar. Embracing sinners and saints, rebellious and religious, white and black, male and female. God, the Father's arms are open wide. Let the church's arms be open wide as well, Jesus. May, be this, may this be a place, God. May prodigal church be a place that embraces all. God, that, that we'd be a place that calls us out of rebellious living and out of religious living and into the arms of the Father. Let us be a place to invite everyone to the party. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, God. We thank you for all that you're doing. Bless this Sunday, God. Bless every home. Bless every marriage. Bless every child represented in this church, God. We pray you pour out your spirit upon us, Father. We love you, Jesus, and we're thankful that you welcome us home, that your arms are open wide, God. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen, amen.